gents and gender-fluid friends, it's time again for Healthcare is Hilarious. Yes, another Thursday, another snark-filled hot take on American healthcare. Let's make fun of the ridiculous, give credit to the awesome, working always to make you laugh and think at the same time. This week, you'll hear all about health economics. No, not boring. Money isn't boring, folks. From Jane Saracen Khan, my bestie who keeps me up to date on all the 411 about impact on the consumer, and that's you and me, folks, of the health policy arguments and health coverage ideas that happen all day, every day, from sea to shining sea and beyond. Jane keeps it real and really understandable. Here's our conversation. Since Jane's a really popular girl, you'll hear a whole lot of alerts pinging, which might be very entertaining for you if you have a whole lot of alerts set for whatever you're listening to this on. Ha <laughs> ha, let the games begin. Where's the tipping point for real change on healthcare cost in the U.S.? We haven't found it yet, and it's breaking us. So what's your thinking? I think we can attack this on two fronts. One, we've been trying to deal with the consumer side through so-called consumer-directed health care for at least 10 years. Uh, but if you ask any patient if they feel like they're directing their consumer experience in healthcare, they'll say, are you kidding me? Um, so it's, it's been a misnomer from the beginning, and it's been poorly designed from the beginning. Um, having said that, I truly believe the patient-consumer caregiver, payer, they're all payers now, um, has a huge role to play because oftentimes people don't understand, and this is the, this is the, cons- the demand side, and then I'm going to talk about the supply side. So on the demand side, in America, we still, a lot of us, believe in over-treatment, even though we don't understand it's over-treatment. So we get second opinions, fine, that's fine. Third, fourth, we're in denial. At that point, you know, I'm looking for a bot or an AI, appropriately AI-initiated thing to help me make my decision because I'm over-explaining, over-exploring, over-analyzing. In any case, I think we have a situation in the States, ironically, of over-treatment for some people and under-treatment for others when we look at health disparities, whether it's with African-American women and heart disease or LGBTQ people and access to primary care, we have under-treatment, under-accessible modes. So we're way out of whack. And as I explain in almost every speech, of course, people get sick of me saying this on my blog at Health Populi, we have among the worst ROI on a very expensive spending in America. So we spend more than any country per capita, and according to GDP, 18.7% of our national economy goes to healthcare. So one in every $5, basically. And yet we have some of the poorest outcomes in terms of longevity, life expectancy, and infant mortality. What's feeding that, again, on the consumer side are the things you and I talk about a lot. Behaviors, four things, food, physical activity, drinking too much alcohol, and smoking. And I'm now throwing e-cigarettes and vaping into the smoking as well, because we now have kids hooked on e-cigs. And who's behind a lot of that? Tobacco money. Hello. It's a whack-a-mole game. So Yeah, I live I live in the land of Philip Morris. You know, Philip Morris yes. is, you know, and Altria are the biggest, you one do. of the biggest companies in the city where I live. So, yeah. yeah. 
I, I remember recently, I never took that drive through Virginia where you see one of the company's uh, headquarters. And I said to my husband. That would be Philip Morris, the one that has the big cigarette. Exactly. Yeah, that's Philip Morris right there on 95. I'm like freaking out about that. And then within an hour, we're seeing, you know, open gun sales on, in tents on the street, another social determinant of health. So in any case, then you're asking about the tipping point. So I think people have a role to play in getting smarter and sharper as true payers in healthcare. And if we're payers, there has to be transparency, information, and motivation. And uh, many people are not inspired yet to engage. As much as you and I, and I've known you for at least 10 years, we've been talking about health engagement forever since we've known each other. It's very spotty. It's coming along. I think the payment, the surprise medical bills, and this reality of pre-existing conditions being threatened, uh, being covered, is a tripartisan issue. All the polls from Kaiser Family Foundation and else and Gallup show recently that majorities of Republicans, Democrats, and Independents all want pre-existing conditions to be covered. How we do that is another story. The Affordable Care Act started. We will see where that goes. I have no idea and I have no prediction to make as of today. Things are really shifting daily. I think we're, we're officially in crazy town now, so it's just strap in kids we don't know where this machine's going yeah. but don't fall don't do not put your arms outside the car as our listeners are listening to this two three weeks from now we'll be closer and closer to the midterm election just to say that today is the fourth of october we are weeks away from the midterms and it is very difficult to read particularly on the senate side where things will go uh, anyway, tipping point. For consumers, it's already a tipping point if you're a patient, if you have cancer, if you have HIV, if you're a caregiver for somebody with Parkinson's or dementia, you know you could end up in the poorhouse in America. So there's a tipping point for a lot of those people who are experienced and mature in healthcare. On the supply side, I meet with a lot of hospital associations in the last couple of years talking about you know this new consumer. Hospitals, whether you're a big academic medical center or a small safety access rural hospital, you all feel screwed by the system right now. And a lack of uncertainty about how you are going to get paid in 2019 and 2020, which doesn't help uh, a CFO or a CEO of a hospital. So uh, on the supply side, as much as we might want to demonize the legacy healthcare system, hospitals, physicians, and even pharma, which I can get to later if you want, um, there's so much uncertainty in the market that it is crazy town in healthcare right now for people like me who have to forecast and advise for long-term. I used to be able, when I started almost 30 years ago as a young consultant, we did 10-year strategic plans in hospitals. Now, in that kind of work that I do, we do one, three, five. I do not go out more than five years because we do not know, let alone then the new entrance issues of Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Apple, and where that's all going to go. So I think wisely now, when we talk about tipping point, in the immediate term, we're seeing movement amongst consumers and the supply side's trying to do what it's trying to do. But I think when we look at the 2020 presidential election, where we have a lot of health care that's going to be debated at that point. To me, even some of the new entries into the healthcare sphere, a lot of the discussion still feels to me as though everybody's playing slice up the $3.5 trillion pie. No yeah. one's really willing, no one has proved to be willing yet 
to figure out how to get that trillion-ish, whatever that's estimated to be waste per year that we spend for like really crappy outcomes, you know, yay, you know, we spend more than anybody else and we're not even in the top 10. People are still fighting over who gets to keep the money as opposed to how to get some of that money out and put it to better use in another part of the economy. Anyway, so why is the American public, you know, John Q, Jane Q public, still so unwilling to storm the castle over this, at least in a large enough group to start addressing the broken economics of our healthcare system in a way that would actually make change. I think we're seeing green shoots of storming in different patient communities and certainly in healthcare journalism, whether we're looking at Elizabeth Rosenthal or others and Shannon Brownlee, who wrote over treated, I don't know, six, seven years ago already. This isn't a problem we haven't known about. And certainly the foundations, Robert Wood Johnson, the Commonwealth fund, Commonwealth Fund's the one who's talked about the 30% waste in terms of over-treatment, under-treatment, duplication, um, and paperwork. I'm very involved on that paperwork side with CAQH in Washington, where um, we had a project that first started with MD on and trying to get rid of paper. We still have paper checks being cut, going to doctors and patients. And so EDI, Electronic Data Interchange, which I worked on ANSI standards 20 years ago when I was a youngin. Before HL7, we were talking about EDI and EFT standards um, when we were all using ATM machines already. So the question now has been, why can't healthcare be like that? Why aren't patients storming? I think we are beginning to see this storm. I think we will see that in the midterm elections. I have to tie it back to politics a lot because of the fraying of, of the, the healthcare rights that people began to enjoy in the last few years. All of a sudden, we want to take it away. There's also rumblings in Congress, in the GOP uh, side of, the, of Congress, to erode Medicaid and Medicare spending in the next few years. You touch that rail you will get burned. Frankly, I think that if they try to break the social contract, that is particularly Medicare, yeah. I think that they'll end up in a bonfire, not of their own choosing, yeah. and in a position vis-a-vis the flames that is not particularly comfortable for them. Agreed. Can you give me sort of a, explain like I'm five, health economics for the just John Jane Q public, what's the big issue and why can't haven't we been able to solve this and how can they help okay here we go let's start with what is economics economics is the study of scarcity remember this resource scarcity when you have scarce resources you have the challenge of allocating those resources distributing them so since world war ii in world war ii We in the United States created a uniquely American system, the employer-based health insurance system. And if you could see my dear friend CQ, the mighty Casey, right? Yeah, I shoot myself in the head over that one every day. Oh my God, an artifact of World War II. The artifact is real, and we are still living with the artifact. That artifact then, in a world of scarce resources, created institutions, hospital institutions, health insurance, eventually. Uh, insurance for prescription drug plans. And so these pillars with their own incentive structures based on laws and regulations grow up over decades, okay? From 43, 45 through the 60s, then we have Lyndon Johnson in the era of Medicare and Medicaid. And that 
is a civil rights movement right there, very important to address the disparities between black, white, people of color, men and women, old and young, because older people were ending up bankrupt. So Medicare was really to help keep older people financially well or even stable out of the poor house, out of the alms house. Okay, so you have these institutions growing up, these pillars with their professional associations, their lobbies, the AMA for physicians and other physician organizations, all the professional associations uh, by specialty. You then have the hospital association with whom I uh, met last week at the Illinois State Hospital Association, where Ron Pollack from the AHA was talking about the hospital priorities for 2019 and beyond. And they are very aggressive in Washington and very successful, the hospital lobby. Then you have the pharma lobby, PHRMA and bio, growing up based on incentives presented to them through Medicare, through the FDA, through Congress, through state laws. So we can do all we want and demonize pharma, hospitals, doctors, medical devices, pharmacy, whatever you want. But each of those segments is just responding to the incentives that are in front of them that are mostly legal. They're not evil. They're just doing what they're doing based on what they can do to maximize profits if they're for profits or to maximize revenue if they're not for profit to feed the mission. We are now at a point where each of these pillars of the legacy system has grown up and it is a whack-a-mole game with that $3.7 trillion this year, 2018, 3.7. Hospitals get 32% of that, $1.23 trillion. Hospitals is the biggest part of the bill. Then you have physician and ambulatory care, 20% of the bill. And then pharma is anywhere between 10 and 13%. That will fast grow the next few years with specialty drugs. This is all to say, if I come back to the beginning, in a game of scarcity, when you press down costs in one area, miraculously, mystically, costs rise in another area. So when we tried to move inpatient surgery to outpatient ambulatory surgery was a beautiful thing. People were in and out, whether it was for kidney issues, tonsillectomy, you, you get it, prostate. But then ambulatory surgery volumes started to increase. So it was a miracle from year to year. We spent the same amount of money on surgery, but we transferred it outpatient. Something is wrong with the workflow and the business model there. When we change the mode of care, we're not changing the workflow. And my great friend, Dr. Chuck Webster, with whom I'm very collegial through our work at Hims, Chuck is doctor workflow. He has taught me the beauty of this. So last night, I was at the launch of EIR Healthcare's Med Modular Single Room Hospital, which is basically a prefab, low-cost, high-green, safe, hygienic way to reimagine how we build, quote, hospitals or healthcare centers. This is the supply side. We've got to attack the supply side and lower costs. That means more care teams, lower costs of care for sites. And sadly, someone's got to lose money. The whack-a-mole game must stop. And that's where we are right now, which is the ACO, the value-based world. We are trying to change how we pay for healthcare. Once that tipping point moves to a majority of payments, which Medicare was trying to make 50% of payments for Medicare in January 2019, 
attributable to some aspect of value. You know, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But it, it is a follow the money thing, and we've got to spend less money and motivate people the way and when I worked with the NHS 25 years ago, when I go to Denmark, when I go to Spain now, as I'm growing my European work, I can tell you, when you have a budget in Spain, they spend 9% of the GDP, and it's the best outcomes in the European Union in Spain. The thing that kills me is, you know, you hear from, pick a sector, yeah. um, you know, everything from pharma to hospitals to, you know, whomever, everybody screams that they're running on razor thin margins and that you're going to have to disrupt some other guy because their money is, you know, we can't run on one penny less than what we're getting. Where's the hammer to crack that egg? I think in the U.S. it is in the over-treatment side of things. We're doing too much stuff to people. We have to become leaner, greener, and more hygienic. You know, we look at how much we spend on MRSA infections in hospitals, for example, that are avoidable. But they're avoidable on that supply side, not just washing hands, but having the physical capital structure reinvented. And that's an expensive thing to do to sort of say, we're going to go greener and cleaner and leaner. Also, um, in the old days of volume-based payment, we have in the uh, health economics world, Romer's Law, which you learn your first in your first health economics class. A built bed, B-U-I-L-T, is a filled bed, F-I-L-L-E-D, is a build bed, B-I-L-L-E-D. A built bed is a filled bed is a build bed, meaning volume. We change that volume to value. That's what we need. Give a bundled payment for the hip. All of a sudden, oh, you're going to cover the PT. You're going to cover the Fitbit or tracking device to make sure somebody's moving. You're going to put a sensor on the fridge so you know somebody's opening up to make coffee in the morning and getting out of bed. All of a sudden, you're thinking more holistically about the social determinants of health. You're spending more on the front end, on social care, less on the back end. And that's the other reason the U.S. spends too much money, by the way, is we are inverted in spending on health care versus social care, education. Right. Sick. Yeah, we don't have health care. We have sick care. We, we wait until someone's sick before we Correct. do anything for them. Yeah, the other countries who spend less, the EU, the J Japan, have that inverted social care spending. And one other thing, most of them have some aspect of universal health insurance. I'm not saying single payer. I'm saying universal. The other pillar to remember, and I have to get this in, is that these other countries also have much stronger and resilient primary care backbones. And we in America don't value primary care the way we should value primary care, the way we might value uh, a hedge fund manager being successful. Primary care is the pearl, is the gem, is, is the most important rail of everything. And on-ramp to a GP, an OBGYN, a pediatrician, an internist, or maybe a cardiologist if that's who you want your PCP to be. But we need the on-ramp. We need that to be covered. So nobody has an excuse to say, oh, I don't want to spend my high deductible on seeing my primary. And now it's time for this week's rant. It's a short one. If you live in the USA, make sure you're registered to vote. Check the links in the show notes for deadline dates in every state, some of which have passed. 
There's also links to see if you're registered to vote already. And if you know you need to register, there's a link to do that too. Election Day 2018 is Tuesday, November 6th. Show up. Do not sit this one out. It's too important. America, it's a vulnerable country. Just don't get sick. And don't forget to vote, motherfuckers. Healthcare is Hilarious is sponsored by Danny Van Leeuwen, also known as Health Hats. With his diverse and prolific health experience, Danny uses his multiple hats to empower people as they travel toward their best health. To join Danny on that best health journey, follow along on his blog. Through October, episodes are also sponsored by the Society for Participatory Medicine and Beyond the Room at Cochrane for All. SPM helped fund my trip to Cochrane in Edinburgh, and Beyond the Room and Cochrane for All chipped in as well. Thanks, guys. See you again next week for more Healthcare is Hilarious Fun. 